but they left for Soul Quest uh, here just as we were beginning uh, whatever version of class that we had this morning. Uh, so they're headed up to Soul Quest. It's in York, Nebraska. Uh, they're excited to be going there. And so uh, last week I preached on our Camp Rock Creek theme uh, of Upside Down Kingdom. This week I want to preach on the high school theme of Limitless. Limitless. Uh, and so this morning we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about it so that uh, because we believe in Northwest that our families should be able to have faith conversations at home. And as our teams are there, I want our congregation to be thinking and studying and praying about what they're going to be thinking and studying and praying about. So this morning I invite you into a conversation that they'll be having throughout this week. Uh, they're going to be having it through eight lessons. You're going to be getting it uh, in the next 20-30 minutes. So we're going to be getting a flyover of what they'll be getting uh, in, in detail. Uh, but here we go. Uh, you know a lot of times in the church and in Christian homes when we talk about finances and budgets and using God's resources... We often talk about the idea of stewardship. And your stewardship, of being good stewards of God's money. And a lot of times when we talk about that idea, uh, when someone, if you're in a church meeting and they say, now we need to make sure that we're being good stewards of the limited resources, uh, financial resources that God has given us, what they usually mean is because what we have is limited, our finances, we need to be cautious and careful, and thrifty, and really make sure that the way that we're spending this money is the way that God would want us to use it. Um, so a lot of times it comes with caution, and with a, a conservative approach to finances, being good stewards. And I think there's value in that. We don't want to be wasteful. Um, but really the idea of stewardship does not necess- necessarily mean being thrifty. Uh, if you were to be made a steward uh, over someone else's estate, and they said, listen, I just want you to be the steward of my estate, what your job would literally be is to ask yourself, given all the resources that I've entrusted with as the steward for that person's estate, I will do to the best of my ability as close to what that person would do in every circumstance. So where they would be uh, just generous and spending and just excited to use that estate or, or that money for that purpose, you would be excited to do it. Where you thought they would be reluctant, you would be reluctant. You just try and do as most nearly as possible what you believe the master would do who has made you steward over their, their property. And when it comes to some of the things that God gives us, we need to think differently about them. And the reason that we need to think differently about them is because they are not limited goods. When it comes to our church budget, that's really a limited item that God has given us. We have a limited resource, so it's good for us to be questioning carefully how to use what God has given us. But in some of the things that God has given us, His love, His forgiveness, and His grace, we are being given limitless gifts from God. And that changes what it means to be a steward of those things. What it means to be a steward of something completely changes in whether it's a limited resource or a limitless resource. And let me share what I mean. Uh, if I came to you tomorrow and said, or not me, I don't have God's money, but I do. Okay, let's just say an angel comes to you. An angel comes to you tomorrow and says, I want to give you $1 million from God. This is God's money. 
I'm putting it directly into your hands. You have $1 million. Your mission for the rest of your life is make sure that to the best of your ability as a steward, you use this million dollars in the way that God would in every circumstance. Well, you would start really thinking, how do I make this last? And is, is this the cause that God would choose? Is this the person that God would want me to invest in? Is this the ministry that God would most want me to put so much of my money into, of his money into, on his behalf? And you constantly be wrestling with it. But imagine if tomorrow when that angel shows up, the angel hands you the million dollars. He says, listen, there's another one coming tomorrow. You've got to use this million dollars for God's purposes today. And you've got to hurry up because tomorrow you're getting another million dollars. And the next day after that, you're going to get another million dollars. In fact, for the next 20 years, every single day of your life, God's going to give you a million dollars that you have to use for His purpose. Do you spend any time in the morning going, boy, I probably ought to save some for a rainy day? Like, I mean, today. Maybe I need to, to save some for a day when a need comes up that I'm not expecting. You don't spend your morning waiting to see if there's a need that might come up in the afternoon. You wake up and you start giving that money away as fast as you can because by the time the sun goes down, you have to have a million dollars less than you just woke up with. When God's resources are infinite and unlimited, we become passionate and excited and, and unrestrained in our generosity, or else there's no way we can give away as much as we've received. There's no way we can give that much away. This morning, we're talking about limitless love, limitless forgiveness, and limitless grace. Three things that God gives to us in such unbelievable abundance that we can't give it away fast enough. And yet so often we act like it's the budget. Well, how much should I give to this person? I don't know if I can give you that much love. There's a limit to my forgiveness. And boy, that loving you sure would take a lot of grace. We act as if we've got a million dollars for the lifetime when God's giftedness is a million dollars a day. What I want to talk about is how these things aren't given to us to possess. And that's the difference in how we normally think about God's love, forgiveness, and grace. Is we think that it's ours to receive. We think that, that God gives it as a gift to us, and that for the rest of our lives we own that which is given to us. We're the recipients of God's love, forgiveness, and grace. That we get it, and now it's mine, and it's ours, and I have it. But Scripture challenges that. Scripture challenges that. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, Peter writes, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. If God's given you any gift, it's your responsibility to use that gift to serve others. So as God gives to you, you then receive it, but with the immediate purpose of then offering it to others. It's not so that you can have it. If any of you have received a gift from God, then keep it, store it, treasure it. It doesn't say that. Receive the gift, and whatever it is that you've been given, give it away in service of others. And here the rest of this verse. God intends for us 
uh, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. First Peter writes that we are faithful stewards of God's grace. Is the grace that God has offered you limited or limitless? Is it limited or limitless? Limitless. And so you are made stewards of a gift that you receive more than you can give every single day of the grace that God has given you. He keeps pouring it into you, pouring it into you, pouring it into you in hopes that you will not cling to it, but in confidence that He's going to give you more tomorrow. You just give it all away. Don't ever stop giving away the grace that God has given you, Peter says. And it's not just grace. The three things, and, and I get these from the lessons that they're going to be doing at Soul Quest, that they're going to be talking about are love, forgiveness, and grace. We're going to look at these texts today. Uh, we're going to start by looking at love. So if you've got your Bibles, or the ones in the chairs in front of you, turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And I'll wait a second for you to get there, because we do that when you're using Bibles. I had completely forgotten that you announced the invitation song before the sermon. That was like being a kid again. John chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Amen. Love each other. The teaching that Jesus offers to the apostles is this. And this is the part of John's Gospel where he's getting to his final teachings. It's the part of the Gospel where he's thinking, what do I need to emphasize to them so that when I am gone, that they're ready to take my ministry forward? And the teaching that he offers to them in this moment is rooted in this very idea that, that Jesus says, God put His love in me. That's Jesus' teaching, that God's love was placed in Jesus, and that Jesus then placed that love in the apostles, and the apostles now are to place that love into all the others. As God pours into Jesus, Jesus pours into the apostles, and as Jesus pours into the apostles, the apostles should pour into the church, and as the uh, church is poured into, the church should pour God's love out on anyone who needs it. 
There is a limitless amount of God's love that's being poured into us from God to Jesus to the apostles and to the church and from the church into the world. And why would we hold any of that back? And so the question that has to be asked here is how much love do we as Christians, how much are we responsible to pour into each other? And the answer is only as much as Jesus pours into you. That's the limit. If you can find that limit, then you can stop loving people more. But if you can't, then you've got to keep increasing the amount of love that you offer others. And this isn't a teaching of obedience. This isn't a teaching of obedience. If it was, Jesus would say, you are my servants and I am your king, so do as I say. But he says, I don't call you servants anymore. Call you friends. Isn't that a thing? Isn't that an incredible thing to have the Son of God, Messiah, King of Kings, say to his apostles and through them to us to say, I don't call you servant anymore. I call you my friends. And the reason I call you my friends is because you know the will of the Father. You know the purposes of God. Because God put them in me and I put them in you and you live them into the world. And what that means is that you're not my servants anymore obeying out of command and obligation. You're my friends who do it because we did it together and you know the blessing of it. You know the method of it. You know the purpose of it. You know why this ought to be done. As you've been blessed by my love, go love others so that they can receive the blessing of God's love through me to you to them. Pass it on because there's no limit to it. This will create in you a fruit that will last. We talked about it last week that that when the Bible, when the New Testament talks about trees and fruit, that the tree is what's inside of you. It's your mind, your heart, your soul. And the fruit is what's outside. Your actions, your character, your, that which is visible and seen and done and makes a difference in the world and begins to turn the world upside down. Jesus says, if you just go about the business of loving each other, that's the fruit. But it's active. It's not internal love. It's none of this, uh, I may love you, but I don't want to be around you or be nice to you. No, it's this fruit-producing love. And it's limitless, and it must be given because Christ keeps giving it to us. And it's not just love that we're to continue giving. It's also forgiveness. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18. This morning, our, our weird class mix-up with the power outage allowed me to go uh, and, and spend my morning in Bible class with, uh, with the Spanish ministry, with La Casa de Español. And they were talking about exactly this idea. The limitless love of God, the limitless forgiveness of God. Uh, and in the class, they went through... Uh, seven or eight different texts that talk about if you have been forgiven by God, then you should give forgiveness to others. And I just sat there thinking two things. One is thinking Spanish faster, trying to hear anything that they're saying. And the other one was, yeah, these scriptures might be better than the one I picked. But that's okay. <laughs> I want you to hear Matthew 18. Uh, we're going to start in verse 12. We're going to work through this text, and I want you to see how this works Because while we are to offer limitless forgiveness, there's a particular way that Christians are to do it that is different than the way the world does forgiveness. And so here's how it begins in verse 12. What do you think? If a man owes a hundred sheep 
And one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the ninety-nine of the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about the one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. This is the easy part of the teaching, okay? If you're in a flock with 99 sheep and one wanders off, you're supposed to go get it and offer that sheep the limitless forgiveness of God and invite it back. Now here's the part that makes it tricky. Is that a sheep, by the time it's off and alone and caught in the thorn bushes or whatever it is on your children's ministry coloring sheet, uh, that little sheep is so excited that you have found it and rescued it and carried it back uh, that you imagine the sheep uh, in some sheep way saying something like, thank you, all the way back to the flock, right? <laughs> the problem with Christians is that when you go to a Christian who has wandered away from the flock and you tell them that they're in a lost place and they need to come back to church, their first response is rarely, thank you. Their first response is usually, uh, mind your own business. Or, who are you to tell me what I'm doing is wrong? Or, leave me alone, get back to the other 99. I want to be out here. And so the, the work of going and getting the one sheep and convincing the sheep that it's good that you want to take it back to the flock is much different for humans than it is for livestock. So Jesus has to continue the teaching. Now, really, the parable is part A. Part B is this. Uh, in verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, this is the process by which sheep leave the flock in the church. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. But just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So the instruction is, is this. When your brother or sister wanders off and goes astray, it's your responsibility to go to them. And to say, you've got a problem. And what I want more than anything is for you to be back in the flock. And that's the goal. The goal is not confrontation. The goal is restoration. The goal is not an argument. The goal is healing and and them being restored to the body of Jesus Christ. The way that we often think about forgiveness is this idea of I will overlook your sin and your problems so that we can both ignore the fact that you have problems and I don't. The problem with that approach to forgiveness is it doesn't restore the stray sheep. And so Jesus says, I'm going to ask you to do something really hard. When someone goes astray, go have a hard, honest, face-to-face conversation with them. Now, this isn't Jesus' words. These are mine, maybe a modification of his. Here's my advice to you, and I wish we would just do this as a practice as a church. 
that we would commit, that we would never do uh, by text and email what could be done over the phone. And that we would never do over the phone what could be done face to face. Because the Jesus idea here is that you go to your brother or sister as someone and you go into their physical presence and you say, I love you and I care about you and I want you restored. That's why I've got to have this hard conversation with you. The incredible thing is that Jesus says, where two or three gather in my name to do this thing, he says, I'll be there too. These hard restoration goal conversations are sacred. Because Jesus promises if we're willing to do this work in love with the hope of restoring the stray sheep, that he'll show up and be present in that moment. You go one-on-one. If that doesn't work, you take two or three. If that doesn't work, you take the church. That feels mean to get it up on the center. Doesn't it feel worse to leave them lost in the thorn bushes? The work of forgiveness is not the same as the work of overlooking sin. The work of forgiveness is reconciling. It's conflict resolution. It's difficult, honest conversations with one another. It's taking the plank out of my eye first so that I can go help you get the speck out of yours because I'm not even willing to let you keep a speck in your eye. We're to be people working towards full forgiveness. Jesus has forgiven everything. And he says, listen, I want you to be the people of forgiveness. Don't quit doing it. But Christian forgiveness is not the forgiveness of the world that just says, you do what you want and I'll do what I want and we'll just accept each other. Christian forgiveness is saying there's a God standard that Jesus died because we couldn't meet. But now that he died, his spirit lives in us. So together as a spirit-filled community, we do the work of forgiving one another. It starts with recognizing that you're lost. It moves into me approaching you and inviting you into a healing place. And if we can both get there, we know Jesus is there with us. But if we can both get there, we get to bring the sheep back to the flock. So Peter comes up and says, okay, this sounds like a lot of work and this sounds really difficult. We have to go find them. We have to confront their sin. We have to try and talk them into quitting. And if they do, they come back. They'll be there with us. Now, verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And he offers a number that he thinks is really generous. Would you do it up to seven? If this sheep just keeps running away, on the eighth time, can I just be like, well, eight times, you know, that's the one I get to just let them stay in the thorn bushes. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. Let me tell you what normal pity looks like. What normal pity looks like in the next phrase of this verse should be this. 
The master took pity on him and gave him an extension on the loan. Admittedly, this is an extension on a loan that everybody that's in the audience knows this guy has no ability to pay back. This is a million dollars a day kind of debt. And the master says, I tell you what, I'm going to take pity on you. Canceled the debt. Canceled the debt. One go. Canceled the debt. It says, you can't ever pay this back. There's not an extension long enough. So I tell you what, instead of putting you and your family in prison, selling you into slavery to get some of it back, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set you free from a debt that you could never pay. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Grabbed him, get it, choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. How big do you think Peter felt? Jesus, should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up, up to seven times? Jesus says to Peter, have you been forgiven more than seven times? Because if you have, and you withhold that eighth time from your brother or sister, if you withhold forgiveness from the one who asked you to forgive them one more time, when you've asked God hundreds and hundreds of times to forgive you of your mistakes, and you withhold the eighth time from the one who's given to you, God has given you limitless, million-dollar-a-day forgiveness, and you won't give a hundred coins of forgiveness to the one who has wronged you? Peter, let me tell you a story about how the Master feels about your stingy, budgeted, limited forgiveness. Let me tell you, Peter, if you can't figure out that you need to receive God's limitless forgiveness so that you can give God's limitless forgiveness, God's not going to be happy. There's a jailer involved in this story. Forgiveness doesn't mean overlooking sin and ignoring it. But it means over and over and over again being willing to go to the sacred place of reconciliation and restoration to have honest, difficult, God-honoring conversations trying to pull all of us into the flock together. That's limitless forgiveness. And the last one that we're going to look at just shortly, I mentioned earlier 1 Peter chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4.
This is the same Peter from the last story. In the story uh, that we just read, in Matthew, Peter is an apostle. He's young. He's learning about the limitless grace, love, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and of God that's come through Jesus to give it to the church. Now Peter is the apostle after Jesus has ascended. Peter is the one who understands now. Peter is the one who has experienced what God's love, forgiveness, and grace looks like, the limitlessness of it. Think about the times Peter has been forgiven, the times he denied Jesus and heard the roosters crow, the times Jesus forgave him and said, love my sheep. And now Peter writes to the church, 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter writes and he says, love each other deeply because he's experienced the limitless love of Jesus. He says, show hospitality and kindness. Welcome anybody because we were welcomed when we were still enemies of God. He says, use any gift that you've been given to serve others. Be faithful stewards of the grace God's given you, whatever form that grace comes in. When you speak, speak as if it's God's words. When you serve, serve as as if it's with the strength that God gives you. Do you hear what Peter's thinking over and over and over again? God's given you this, give it away. God's given you that, give it away. God's given you more, give away more. God's given you limitless gifts. Why are you still holding on to them? Give, love, serve, speak. Do not find a limit to that which God gives you in infinite abundance. That's the limitless love, forgiveness, and grace of Jesus Christ. And we as the body receive it, but we receive it not so that it can be clung to, that so we can empty ourselves of it and pour it out in the world. Because here's the reason why we can pour it out every single day. You get a refill in the morning. There's no end to the love and forgiveness and grace of God through Jesus that's filled up in us through the gifts of the Spirit. Listen, today if you're here and you are listening to this and you need to be fully filled with the Spirit of God, transformed into the image of Jesus by the God who is limitless in His gifts that He offers you. If you've not received those gifts, if you've not received that Spirit, the Bible tells us that the way you do it is through faith, repentance, and believe that you'd be baptized into Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit, and that God spends the rest of His life pouring into you so you can pour out on others. If that's what you're ready to sign up for today, if you're ready to make that eternal decision in this one moment, come forward this morning while we stand and sing. There's a fountain.